The Mark Stein Show. And now, here's Mark. Congratulations to my old boss, Boris Johnson, who has become a father again, as he does fairly regularly, although this is the first time that the newborn uh, will be uh, making do with an ad hoc nursery at 10 Downing Street. And best wishes to uh, Margaret Trudeau, Justin's mum, who has been hospitalised for smoke inhalation after a fire at her flat in Montreal. As some of you will recall... I had a very convivial evening with Madame Trudeau and some old pals a while back, and she's by far the most likeable member of the Trudeau family, if that's not damning with faint praise. I hope she's like Boris and gets out of that hospital soon. Where are we? Wow. April 29th, 2020. From my house arrest to yours. When you're alone and life is making you lonely, it's because you're in lockdown. Down when you got worry and you'd kill for a curry, but the restaurant's been locked down. You sick of crappy music from celebrity fundraisers. Linger on the sidewalk and the cops get out their tasers. What's left to lose? There once were baristas there, they would forget what you ordered, forget your soy milk. Now it's locked down. No grimmer place for sure Lockdown Can't take a minute more Lockdown Nothing is waiting for you No sir It's getting to me, it's getting to me Quarantine Quarantine The word is two-thirds of a millennium old. It means uh, 40 days. That's all. And it originates with incoming ships to Venice uh, during the Black Death that were made to sit in the harbour for 40 days before either passengers or crew were allowed ashore. And uh, if you followed our serialization of Daniel Defoe's journal of the plague year, you'll know that nothing has really changed in the measures that are available uh, to governments and to societies since uh, the plague of 1665 and uh, the Black Death a couple of centuries earlier. Uh, 40 days of quarantine, 40 days, 40 days back would be, let's see, March the 30th. So governments around the world that took the unprecedented step of quarantining everyone uh, ought to have something else up their sleeves by now. Why, incidentally, are we quarantining everyone for the same reason that after 9-11 we put in place a vast airport screening bureaucracy that as a point of principle fails to distinguish between an excitable young Mohammedan male from Waziristan and your granny. Had any Western government announced in January that anyone whose recent travel included China would have to quarantine for 14 days, they would have been denounced as a racist. So because we couldn't 
quarantine anyone in particular back then. We're now quarantining everyone in general right now. It's TSA universalism taken to the next level. And there's going to be a, a lot more of this. Before we get to the politics, certain things can all be true. This thing can be a public health crisis and a national security issue and an economic catastrophe and a disturbing descent by free nations into utterly repulsive authoritarianism and the repudiation of core freedoms such as freedom of movement, freedom of assembly, freedom of religion, freedom of speech. You don't have to pick just one. For me, uh, the big picture issues are always the most interesting. That's that's what I've spent most of this century talking about. If you're interested in who's two points up in Ohio uh, in, in the uh, latest Rasmussen poll, there are all kinds of other people who can give you that. Um, but, but for me, it's the big picture issues. Uh, China has specific long-term goals and is using COVID-19 to accelerate the achievement of those go goals. Your, your mileage may vary, and all politics is local. In France, the people most opposed to the lockdown are Marine Le Pen supporters. So it's their political opponent, President Macron, that they're opposing. So that's all fine and dandy. In America, the people most opposed to the lockdown are Trump supporters. And to one degree or another, it's the Trump administration they're opposing. And that's a little bit of a finer needle to thread. Yesterday on Rush, I interviewed uh, Governor Kemp about opening up Georgia and ending the lockdown. President Trump has opposed that move and attacked Governor Kemp for opening up Georgia. Uh, Trump supporters distrust Dr. Fauci uh, because his public utterances have been all over the map. Uh, but Fauci isn't the leader of the opposition. He's a low-ranking midget employed by Trump. Who's the guy towering over Fauci at the podium every night looking like... Uh, Golden Girls B. Arthur to Fauci's Estelle Getty. It's Trump. Truman famously said the buck stopped here. The buck stopped here. And, he, and that's a distillation of political reality. You're not going to persuade November's voters that the buck stops down the hall, hang a left, take the elevator to sub-basement level four, walk through six miles of windowless corridors until you come to Dr. Fauci's office. It's even less likely to work with the scarf queen, uh, Dr. Burks, because she was specifically hired by Trump and Pence for this job. She was uh, saving AIDS patients in the Congo or whatever until she got the call from Mike Pence. Furthermore, let's let's look at the guy who hired Dr. Burks, one of only two elected officials in the executive branch, Mike Pence, was put in charge of the Corona Task Force. Then the other elected official, Donald J. Trump, decided to associate himself with the Corona crisis by standing on TV next to Dr. Burks and the Surgeon General and that Admiral guy and all the rest of them every night. As I said on Rush again at some length, I don't think uh, these two-hour press conferences are working for the president right now. Because last time round, Trump ran as the great disruptor. Uh, Jeb and Kasich and Marco Rubio and all the other guys stood up there and then Trump basically comes swinging in like a big wrecking ball and uh, and totals the whole thing. Last time around, he was the great disruptor. Right now, he's the great disrupted. Right now, it's the Trump voters who are most angry about what's going on in this crisis. 
Uh, and I'm not persuaded that the national electorate is going to buy the explanation that some midget virologist with dodgy graphs suckered him into going along with it. No one knows what the political landscape, if there is one, will look like in November. But tough times are always a referendum on the president not on the Deputy Assistant Undersecretary of the Bureau of issuing $1,200 checks in a timely manner. And I say that as someone who, unlike far more prominent Conservatives, got Trump and the appeal of Trump from within weeks of him coming down that escalator, as you'll know if you've read my piece last stand of the old white males. So I, I get Trump. I was with Trump. I got no use for Republican Party politics as exemplified by Jeb Bush or anyone. But I agree with Brit Hume. The two viable narratives are Trump lied, people died, which the left is running with, or China lied, people died, which I'm running with. I don't think Fauci lied, people haven't died, is a runner. And I think there is great peril uh, for uh, Trump supporters in somehow trying to, in effect, blame Trump policies and Trump personnel without blaming Trump. I don't think they're doing the president any favors at all. And now, from the land where everything is policed except crime. Good evening, all. It's your Brit Wanker Copper of the Day. As you know, this feature began just before Easter when police were going into supermarkets and corner shops and preventing parents and children buying Easter eggs on the grounds that chocolate eggs were, quote, non-essential. Then we had not just any old wanker copper, but the Northamptonshire Police's chief wanker, Constable Wanker, Nick Adderley, issuing a threat to start examining your supermarket trolley for non-essential items. We will not at this stage be starting to marshal supermarkets and checking the items in baskets and trolleys to see whether it's a legitimate, necessary item. But again, be under no illusion. If people do not heed the warnings and the pleas that I'm making today, we will start to do that. That's former Brit wanker copper of the day, uh, Nick Adderley, chief wanker, constable wanker of Northamptonshire Police. Now, I believe this is a gentleman called Danny Shine who has decided to turn the tables on the peelers. So he's strolling down Piccadilly, and at the eastern end, there's a little alley called Air Street. I know it well because it enables you to cut through to Regent Street uh, without uh, navigating the hell of Piccadilly Circus. And Mr. Shine comes across three officers on foot patrol, a lady officer licking a chocolate ice cream, a male officer with a big bag of Cadbury's cream eggs, uh, and it's not clear what the uh, preferred delicacy of the third officer is. And so Mr. Shine, operating on Chief Constable Nick Adderley principles, demands to know what the coppers are doing with non-essential items such as ice cream and cream eggs. Can I confirm, are you doing something essential right now? I mean, I'm talking about the ice cream in particular. Well, so I'm not allowed to eat an ice cream when I'm at work. I'm saying, is it essential? Well, do I eat an ice cream? Yes. Because well, like we're not allowed yes. to do things that are not essential. Right. So I'm just wondering, was the ice cream strictly essential? Well, I wanted an ice cream, so I bought an ice cream. I was in a shop right. for another reason. Right. So I'm just wondering, was the ice cream strictly essential? Well, I wanted an ice cream, so I bought an ice cream. I was in a shop right. for another reason. Oh. And as I'm sure you're aware, 
What about the cream eggs? What's going on with the cream eggs? Donated to the police by the shop. But that's no good for your health. You don't be eating cream eggs at this time. I mean, this time you're eating cream eggs. No, but but you have been eating ice cream, and correct. And and I believe it's your responsibility to take care of your health to keep. I do take care of my health for the sake of the NHS. I do take care of my health. But what are you giving cream eggs to the police for? Did I say I'm giving eggs to the cream? You said it was given to the police. I did. What are you going to do with it? Everything's okay in moderation, isn't it? I don't know, is it? I'm, I believe I'm better at looking after my own health than you are telling me how to talk my own health. Right, right. Now, Danny Shine is making a very important point here. If the Bobbies are going to go around threatening the citizenry with on-the-spot fines for buying chocolate eggs and ice cream, they can't then stroll the streets licking ice cream and chomping chocolate eggs themselves and rubbing the citizens' noses in it because it offends one of the most basic principles of free societies, that the state should be bound by the laws it imposes on the people. When it comes to telling people what to do at the moment, do you think that your powers... Um, I mean, what do you think about your powers, that you can actually tell really, people to I'm stop? I'm not really here to speak about my own powers. Right. Am I? You've interrupted us. We're trying to walk back to the station right. to maintain our duty. Right. I'm, I'm not qualified at this point in time to talk about my powers and what, what I feel they're responsible for. Right. Okay, that's fine. You don't, you know, obviously you don't need to. You're free to, you're free to go. Uh, Given the way the lady constable in this interaction never stops licking on her ice cream enough to utter a word, I am in favour of citizen watch groups, especially in Nick Adler's police state of Northamptonshire, tracking the old bill and monitoring them for non-essential consumption. Now, in fairness here, the mail officer was quite cooperative, but then Danny Shine went into a chip shop. I don't know what the copper was about to order, a saveloy, a pickled egg or some other exotic uh, menu item, but he did not care to answer on the question of their non-essentialness lest his answer be taken down and used in evidence. So the surly copper merely said this. So I don't wish to discuss it with you. I don't wish to discuss it with you. Metropolitan police officers consuming non-essential chocolate and ice cream items in the course of their duties. Your Brit Wanker Coppers of the Day. Can't get enough of America's undocumented anchorman? SteinOnline.com is your one-stop shop for all things Stein. Catch new episodes of The Mark Stein Show. Sit back and experience features like Stein's Song of the Week and Mark Stein's Tales for Our Time. Get the most of Stein Online by joining the Mark Stein Club, a global community of people just like you. The show never stops for members of the Mark Stein Club. Head on over to steinonline.com club for details. And now, Stein Online presents Mark Stein's Song of the Week. Well, it's more of a Song of the Week midweek extra, and in this case, an extra to our all-request edition a week and a half ago. We had far more song suggestions than we could possibly squeeze into a two-hour show, so I hope you won't mind if we attend to a few outstanding items here. This was requested by David Kelly Wood, a Stein Club member in a Chinese town in Hubei province called Wuhan. And I think of David in these difficult times because it can't be easy for him. And if decouplers like yours truly get our way, 
it's only going to be less easy in the months and years ahead. We live in touchy times. So if you call COVID-19 the Wuhan flu or the Chicom flu or the Politburo pandemic, you're accused of hating Chinese people. Um, for what it's worth, I think the best way to show you hate Chinese people is to fail to distinguish between them and the lousy totalitarian regime that they live under. Be that as it may, East is East and West is West, and occasionally the twain meet. In this case, it starts with a traditional Hawaiian tune. If you've got a ukulele, uke along with this. adapted Hawaiian, but, but that is such a beguiling tune that sooner or later someone's going to put an English language lyric to it, and the fellow who did, assisted by the composer Leon Poba, was a chap called Webley Edwards, the station manager at KGMB Honolulu, the host of the radio show Hawaii Calls, and the man who was the first to announce the Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor in 1941. Four years later, he would be one of only two broadcasters aboard the USS Missouri to report the finish of that story. He was a serious journalist, but the man who was first with Pearl Harbor also gave us pearly shells. Pearly shells from the ocean shining in the sun Covering the, shore. covering the shore when i see them my heart tells me that i love you more than all the little pearly shells for every grain of sand upon the beach i've got a kiss for you and i've got more left over for each star that twinkles in the blue Pearly shell from the ocean, shining in the sun, covering the shore. When I see them, my heart tells me that I love you more than all the little pearly shells. Pearly shells as sung by Burley Ives, uh, which brings us back to our Wuhan listener, David Kellywood, who wrote to request uh, the Chinese-language remake Gao Su Ni Gao Su Wo, uh, performed by the Taiwanese singer Deng Li Jun, English name Teresa Deng, or as her Chinese fans came to call her, Zhao Deng, or Little Deng. Uh, as David writes, her parents escaped with the nationalists in 1949 to Taiwan, so her music was banned in China throughout most of her career. But the Chinese people blatantly disregarded the ban. As her family name Deng was the same as the leader of 
China in those days, Deng Xiaoping. It was commonly joked that while Deng Xiaoping may have ruled China during the daytime, it was Xiao Deng who ruled at night when her music could be heard everywhere throughout the mainland. She recorded easily over 1,000 singles during her career and had the bootlegged recordings which played in China been added to her total sales, she likely would have been one of the top-selling recording artists of all time, anywhere on the planet. Uh, as it was, says David, she still topped 200 million. She sang in Chinese, both Mandarin and Cantonese, Japanese, Indonesian and English, although I think her English recordings were the weakest because she didn't have the same command of English that she had of the other languages, says David. Uh, Teresa Dung died of a sudden asthma attack while on holiday in Thailand in 1995. She was just 42. And this is what David asked to hear, Teresa's version of Pearly Shells. words by a man born in Oregon and sung by a lady born in Taiwan after her parents fled mainland China. Teresa Tung, Gao Su Ni, Gao Su Wo.
I won't pretend to have followed the dramatic nuances of the lyric, but it's a lovely voice and a sweet arrangement. And as the accusations of sinophobia fly, I've already had a lot levelled my way. I think it's important uh, to distinguish between the Chinese Politburo and the Chinese people and between Chinese politics and Chinese uh, geopolitics and Chinese global ambition and Chinese culture. We'll pick up a few more of your requests in the weeks ahead, but look after yourself there in Wuhan. David Kelly Wood. Mark's mailbox is on the air. Stephen Payne, Mark's Nine Club member Stephen Payne, writes, actually doesn't write to me. He writes more uh, to congratulate Diane Calabresi, uh, who has a very uh, critical email uh, about me in our comment section. Actually, uh, I would have attended to Diane's letter, and maybe we'll get to it, uh, but uh, Diane <laughs> is boasting about how uh, the minute she hears my voice, she turns the off switch. Uh, so she wouldn't hear this response if I did reply to Diane, but maybe we'll get to her. Anyway, Stephen says, wow, Diane, can you do this? Seems that every time I criticise Mark, that comment doesn't see the light of day. I don't think that's true, Stephen. I think you're confusing me with uh, Mark Levin. He's the one who's a bit touchy. Feel free to piss all over me whenever you want. Well, if we can do it now, I mostly agree with you. Mark has been weak on this. He's getting better, but still a bit weak. Remember when he was focused solely on the death toll from Italy, literally the worst case scenario, and all his touching obituaries for showbiz people who have been taken from us too soon, usually when they're in their 90s. Mark and Tucker started out being alarmists and are now moderating that, but they were sure piling wood on the shut it all down and panic fire for a while there. And then Stephen adds this, uh, note as a famous sailor like to say that's all i can stands i can't stands no more i'm talking about the cheap chinese crap mean that so many of you like to throw around with walmart often thrown in if you're going to use that why don't you just go ahead and finish the thought with bought by all those deplorables who can't afford better go ahead say it you know i hate that all of us can't furnish our lives with treasures from tiffany's and neiman marcus but doggone it we just can't afford it just the other day i was talking to one of those truly essential workers one who stocks our grocery shop I couldn't help but notice that she wasn't wearing Versace or Prada. I thanked her for working and she laughed and said, I have to work if I want to eat. I'll bet she shops at Walmart and probably has a lot of cheap Chinese crap in her home. So knock off the condescension. I don't think people buy that stuff because it's Chinese made. I think they buy it because it's what they can afford, says Stephen Payne. Well, just for the record, Stephen, I have no particular desire to see you in anything from Neiman Marcus. And actually, quite a lot of the high-end stuff is made in China, too, because they're taking everything. Um, I'd like to go back to the way it was for the entirety of human history until just a couple of decades ago, when the cheap, affordable clothes that people wore were made in-country. So, yes, I do think it's ludicrous for some guy to stagger around in a don't-tread-on-me-these-colors-don't-run T-shirt made in China, because, in fact, those colors do run. They run with the blood of slave labor from the sweatshop behind the Wuhan Institute of Virology. They're affordable because it's slave 
slave labor. China kills more people than the rest of the planet combined every year. And that's a good reason not to have them make your T-shirts. And no, it's not anybody's fault that they're the only affordable T-shirts around. Uh, because, uh, as the other T-shirt says, don't tread on me, you've been trod on. You've been trod on by a malign alliance between the Chamber of Commerce right and the Chinese Communist Party. And that's why middle-class wage growth has flatlined for a couple of generations, which is one reason everyone's buying stuff in the uh, crap hole Chinese emporia. Uh, and uh, another consequence of that flatlining of middle-class uh, wage growth uh, is that 40% of Americans now do cheap service jobs about to be rendered obsolete by automation, while everything necessary for a self-sustaining society, including basic medicines, is made in China. I don't necessarily want to see you in Prada, Stephen, although I'm sure you'd look a total hottie, but I likewise don't want to see you swaddled in a Chinese winding sheet, which is what the Sino-American relationship is. It's the death of America. It's the transfer of global dominance. That's what it is. And it's not a benign transfer like the uh, British-American uh, transfer after the Second World War. It's, it's something far darker with no good consequences for America. And it's not condescending to point that out. What's actually condescending is to say jobs are never coming back. We have to let the Chinese make everything. That's just the way it is. But don't worry, you can do the night shift at the quickie crap. And if you don't like that, there's always the meth lab. Trump ran against that condescension. That was his platform. And I'm with him on that. I'm with him on that. What else does Stephen say? Oh, yeah, I'm a weak guy. That's me. Stein's a weak guy because I'm not butch enough to laugh in the face of death of others. Quote, Remember when uh, Stein was focused solely on the death toll from Italy, literally the worst case scenario, and all his touching obituaries for showbiz people have been taken from us too soon, usually when uh, they're in their 90s. Actually, we've covered deaths of all kinds of people on this show, Stephen. We've got a veteran coming up later, veteran. Not, not a tap shoe in sight. Uh, a veteran. 80 veterans are dead in one Massachusetts, quote, care home. No tap shoes there either. But is that funny too, Stephen? Are, are we support our troops and thank you for your service as hollow as all the other fatuous bumper stickers? Old soldiers as the cliche used to have it, deserve the right to fade away. COVID deaths are horrible deaths. In isolation wards, deprived of the presence of loved ones and the comforting touch of an unlatexed hand rather than some guy in a hazmat suit. If I come and put a bullet in your grandpa, you wouldn't say, hey, what's the big deal? He was 103. Or would you? I focus on the Italian death rate because it's not a natural phenomenon. As Rush has said, China weaponized this thing, exported it around the world, kept the medical equipment for itself, told Beijing Bob at the WHO to go along with the lies and launched subtle virtue signaling propaganda campaigns around the world. And as a result of that conscious behavior by Beijing, over 200,000 people have died. Those numbers aren't chump change. In London, in four weeks, uh, the Wu flu killed more people than Hitler did in the worst four weeks of the Blitz. In recent weeks, the UK has had a death rate one 
108% higher than usual. In New York City, it's 299% higher than usual. In Bergamo, in Lombardy, it's 463% higher than usual. So I'm weak because I think these numbers mean something. Actually, I'm Lord Palmerston in, in full-blown Don Pacifico mode. A citizen of great power should be able to go about his business unmolested by a foreign state. Not because I'm sentimental about nonagenarian assistant choreographers, but because if you let them get molested by a foreign state, you're not going to be a great power much longer. Over a quarter of the deaths from this thing worldwide are of Americans. Your fellow Americans died because of China's actions. And you, Stephen, think the tough guy position is to say, <laughs> we don't care how many Americans the Chicons kill, as long as we can get back to going to crap you like at the discount mall to buy all those Chicon bargains. Maybe we're already post-Palmerston, and we aren't actually a great power. Maybe we're just a great power theme park like a giant cage at the zoo with the Chinese as our keepers. And, the, and, and our Chinese keepers just pump the occasional toxin under the plexiglass just to add a little amusement. The WHO is actually a metaphor for the state of the planet. American taxpayers pay for it, uh, but the organization itself works for China. And now, just for you, Stephen... Some old people would be dead anyway, so who cares? Mark Stein's Last Call Just three months ago, the world marked the 75th anniversary of the liberation of Auschwitz concentration camp, one of the dwindling number of survivors of the Third Reich's hideous death camp was a Belgian Jew called Henri Kishka. That's not what the Germans called him, of course. As he recalled in January this year, he had a number. And to the end of his days, Monsieur Kishka always recited that number in the language of his jailers. 177,789. My name, no name. My address, no address. No school, no family. All my family died there. Henri's family had been stunned by the German invasion of Belgium in 1940, and their instinct was to get out of there and flee to France. They moved south to Toulouse and settled in Revelle. And then the milice française, the local thugs, whom the resistance considered more dangerous than the Gestapo because they knew the territory, the milice ordered Henri and his family into refugee camps and then sent them to Paris to be processed and shipped east. They were arrested by Hitler with me. It, not, it was not alive. <laughs> it was dead. Only dead. My father, my mother, both sisters, they died in Auschwitz. They were gazed and burned. Henri returned to Belgium wasted and tubercular. I was 90% dead. 
After the war, I was in a hospital because I was very, very unskeleton. I was a skeleton. I was in a, in a sanitarium for the lungs and in a hospital. But as the sole surviving member of his family, he rebuilt his life and prospered until COVID-19. He survived the Third Reich, but not the Chaikoms. Dead of the Chinese coronavirus at the age of 94, Auschwitz survivor Henri Kishka. Philip and Samuel Kahn were twins, born at New York's Harlem Hospital on December the 15th, 1919. Philip Kahn lived a full life. In 1940, convinced that America would soon be in the New World War, he joined a pilot training program and spent the next five years flying dangerous bombing raids over Japan and ended the war in August 1945 by flying reconnaissance missions over the devastated cities of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Back home, he became an electrical engineer, in which capacity he helped build the Twin Towers. He spoke about some of his experiences just last month at the Queen's Village Republican Party Lincoln Day dinner, the 145th such dinner, but the first to be held digitally because of the Chinese coronavirus. I'm 100 years old, and I am the oldest living veteran in Nassau County. Throughout that long life, Philip Kahn had one huge hole in his story. Twin siblings are famously very close, but Philip never knew his twin, because three weeks after their birth in December 1919, Samuel Kahn died. My grandfather, uh, throughout my entire life, had always told me about his twin brother, Samuel, who had died during the Spanish flu pandemic. Knowing that you had a, tri a twin that you ultimately never got to know because of pandemic really affected him, he was completely with it at the end. So he, he knew what was going on and saw the irony in this. Dead of the Chinese coronavirus, a hundred years after his twin brother was killed by the Spanish flu. Philip Kahn. Both Philip and his brother uh, were pandemic bookends. His brother having passed from the Spanish flu and him regrettably having passed from COVID. He always had a, a motto that history will always repeat itself. And uh, he knew that there was a possibility of a pandemic again. The one silver lining is that my grandfather will finally have the opportunity to meet his twin brother after 100 years. The bookends of a man's life. Fred the Godson was a rapper, although to my ears it's rather a cuddly and cosy name for a rapper, uh, a field of endeavour where the most popular familial relationship is that of Mother Bleeper. Not for Fred, the great currents of history, the world wars, the Spanish flu, the Holocaust, 9-11, just the more prosaic chaos and dysfunction of a New York neighbourhood in the early 90s. Here is Fred the Godson in what would prove to be his last interview, recalling his childhood. I was born on College Avenue. We had a fire, um, moved over here, right up the block, um, 156 and Fox. Uh, we lived in a shelter, me, my five brothers and sisters, and uh, mother and my father. You know, it was rough, tough, we didn't really have no money. Father was on drugs at the time. It was rough, you know, you know shootouts, Drug deals, um, two hand touch, basketball, you know, kid stuff, but within a, a dangerous environment, you know, it's the hood, it's the block. 
This is the title song from Fred the Godson's most recent album, God Level. With me you could differentiate Threesome with your wife and a homie differentiate <laughs> I initiate impact of these defensive lines like week two with ten sacks Your man rap my flow strong and it's scary Don't have your boy photobomb your bitch wet Yeah man rap my flow strong and it's scary don't have your boy photobomb your obituary, God. His flow wasn't so strong. Welcome to God level. And some 200,000 other deceased photobombed his obituary, dead of the Chinese coronavirus at the age of 35, rapper Fred the Godson. This isn't Fred the Godson. Vi que brillaba una luz en la noche estrellada Era la luz de mi amada de aquel ventanal Yo quería Y ella de mí se burló sin tener compasión I felt the knife in my hand and she laughed no more. Tom Jones's enduring homicidal hit, as rendered in Spanish by Il Principe Gitano, the Gypsy Prince, born Enrique Castellón Vargas. He wanted to be a bullfighter but had no luck in that field. Instead, he became a flamenco singer, actor, dancer, and the brother of the great rumba chanteurs Dolores Vargas. His biggest hit was the song Obi Oba, but I have always had a fondness for Il Principe Gitano's idiosyncratic rendition of the Elvis hit In the Ghetto. In the ghetto, in Harlem in the teens, in the Jewish camps of Vichy, France in the 40s, in the Bronx in the 90s. Il Principe Gitano sings for them all. Dead of the Chinese coronavirus at the age of 94, Enrique 
Castellan Vargas, the Gypsy Prince. That's our show for today. Do prowl around Stein Online for other delights, including in print the latest edition of Laura's Links. Well worth your time. Stay safe, stay free. Join us next time for another edition of The Mark Stein Show. The Mark Stein Show is a production of Mark Stein Enterprises and Oak Hill Media. reserved.